Welcome to Composer Talk. I'm your host, Matthew Wong. As a film and TV composer, I love talking to others about their backgrounds, composition techniques, music tech, and more. We all watch films, TV, and digital media, and know the important role that scoring plays in storytelling. I want to invite you to join me on this adventure to learn more about the artists who are behind the scenes creating the music. If you want to learn more about the people interviewed on this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials. And if you enjoy Composer Talk, please take the time to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening site is. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a quick second to shout out our friends at QDB.com. That's C-U-E-D-B.com. QDB is a cloud-based software that allows you to make your own customizable cue lists for spotting, composition, orchestration, mixing, and cue sheet delivery. If you'd like to try it out, use the code COMPOSERTALK for 15% off for one year. This RTS award-winning composer is also an Ever Novello, BIFA, and Cinema Eye Honors nominee, BAFTA Breakthrough Brit, and the IFMCA Breakthrough Composer of 2020. She's one of my favorite composer sound designer hybrids, and I'm very excited to meet her today. The composer is Nandita Desai. Thank you for having me onto your show, Matthew. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. Likewise. I think that what you do is, uh, is really incredible. And yeah, you just have such a unique voice, I think, in, in the film scoring world, which is very much thank needed. So thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, it's, it's, taken a, it's, a long, it's taken a long time to develop that unique voice. <laughs> um, it's not something that I'm consciously aware of, but I guess people hear that, which is really... Um, refreshing and, and lovely to hear and of curiosity so did you go into wanting to be a film composer from a young age was there any film that had a very unique soundtrack that that made you think like this would be an interesting career well but... well you know i i learned i started off learning the violin and the piano uh, as a child um at school and at home i i learned the uh indian classical instruments like the sitar and the tablas and the one thing that i always did uh was i always improvised you know it's just something that used to annoy everyone around me and i still do it i i'm a hummer i i hum and sing and if i hear a score on telly if i hear something when i'm watching uh, a show or a film i'll just start singing the harmonies and counter melodies automatically <laughs> And, and it would just drive people around me crazy and, and totally nuts. But um, but it's just something that I've always done. And I've always, I think I was born to be a composer in that regard because I, I just improvised. But I wasn't even aware of it uh, as a profession that I could actually have as a, you know, make a living out of writing music. So um, I actually wanted to be a singer when I was a teenager and I had my own rock band, pop bands at school and was always uh, writing songs and doing cover versions and performing. And then I realized that I actually kind of suffer from stage fright. And as, and as a teenager, I was a real geek, uh, techie geek. I loved computers and I really got into you know, synthesizers and drum machines. I was a big fan of Roland gear. Uh, I had the Roland R8 and the Roland D70 synth. And um, and I really got into the sound of records. I wanted to be a record producer. I was really influenced by Brian Eno and Daniel, Len- Daniel Lenoir and uh, Peter Gabriel's music and world music. So I wanted to be a record producer and, a, and an engineer. And, and so I started off really by 
becoming an assistant music engineer uh, at record freelancing at recording studios and but then I also loved film as well and uh, so to answer your question my favorite pieces of music you know I loved film scores and I, I remember listening to Trevor Jones's score for Last of the Mohicans and Sea of Love and John Barry's Bond soundtracks and of course uh, the maestro Ennio Morricone's the Spaghetti Westerns and 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 John Williams and and you know just a whole array of of film scores which really transported me into to another world a musical world you know and story world so I've really always been interested in telling stories through music and so I got to go to film school and I studied sound design because I was really interested in becoming a sound designer for for film, which I did do at the beginning of my career. And um, and then I realized that I could actually make a go of it as a composer. And it took a lot of courage for me to do that uh, because I, I didn't think I could make a living out of being a composer as I don't have a degree in music. So I because I have a degree in mathematics. And once I made that switch, um, it just, everything sort of grew from that point. But it took a it took a while, you know, being working as a sound designer, working in music engineering for me to get to that, to that path of being a composer. Right. Yeah, when I first moved to LA, I, uh, I also kind of, I don't know how I ended up there, but was doing a lot of sound design mm-hmm. work. And it was definitely not even in the film world. It was like making presets for Eventide and uh, Output and some of those like instrument companies. And it's an interesting way of thinking about you know just making a sound that is cool as opposed mm. to how it fits into the context yeah. of anything yeah. in particular. Yeah, no, I, I love sound. I mean, I, I love sound design, and even now, you know, I'm always more and more so, especially with the the last, you know, the, my current feature where I really got to experiment creatively with. Um, creating sound design you know blurring the lines between sound and music and that's something that always interested me I mean I was I worked as a sound designer on feature films and doing dialogue editing foley editing uh, sound effects and and it gave me a real foundation it gave me a great grounding in the role of audio and the power of audio in in film Um, you know I was a big fan of the Coen Brothers movies like Barton Fink. And I think it was, I can never pronounce it correctly, I think it was Skip Leavesey who was their uh, resident, you know, their main guy for sound design. I think he's based in New York City. And and that really, you know, it just, it just blew my mind, the power of, and of course, Walter Murch in Apocalypse Now and uh, the sound of those uh, ceiling fans going round and round, blending into the sound of the helicopter and the chopper um, going, round, rotor blades going round, and I actually did that in my um, current film. They gave me the sound of a ceiling fan going round, and I thought, oh, it'd be really cool to create some rhythms out of that. So um, there's some sort of percussive, rhythmic, circular rhythms, which was um, which was a lot of fun. For sure. And, and to go back for a sec, I mean, you said you got into synthesizers. Um, I think you mentioned the Roland D70, but like those aren't like cheap synths at the time. So did you have supportive parents or was that something where those just available through, through school? Yeah, well, or? actually, when, well, with the Roland D70, that was, that was the first synth that I bought 
um, when I was 18 years old and I, I saved up all my money to uh, my pocket money and my allowance. Uh, I think for, it took me a, a year and a half, I think, to a couple of years to save up enough money to buy the synth. And, and I went for that as opposed to the D50 because it had the big... It had the seven and a half or eight octave keyboard, and I really wanted that mm -hmm. for for composing. And I bought a Roland R8 drum machine. So yeah, I had a Fostix um, X26 four tracking multi tracking machine on cassette. And um, uh, what else? I, I had you know a variety. I've got a Yamaha TG77 which I bought second hand, and I uh, just had some Emu Proteus modules. So I was really into hardware uh, synth modules and I just my my studio just grew and grew over the years and I think my first Mac was a Mac Quadra 650 which was um, state of the art in those days and it was it was made for the creative producer you know if you were into the arts and and media production it um it was perfect for that but when I was at school I my school music department bought a um uh, ECM VCS3, um, the you know the one that looks like battleships, the 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 the, the little uh, pins that stick into the modules in the uh, in this like this suitcase, and they bought this synthesizer, this monophonic synth, which I asked if I could borrow and take home, and they said, yeah, sure, no one's using it, and it cost a lot of money in those days, and now more so because it's sort of vintage antique value. And it cost, um, I, I borrowed it, and I borrowed it for about two years, and no one noticed that it had gone missing. <laughs> and so when I left school, I took it back, of course. And they said, oh, Nanita, we didn't realize you had this synth. You know, thank you very much. And I thought, damn, I could have got away with it. I could have kept this. You know, it was such a... It was, but it, it taught me the basics of synths, and um, and you know it was just an amazing, amazing um, analog synth to sort of have to play with and and get around. You know, it was my my education in synthesis really, so I was really lucky with that. Yeah. Those EMS synths are so so fun. Uh, we had one at NYU mm -hmm. as well, but remember, I think I lost one of the pins, <laughs> and it became a huge deal. <laughs> the whole tech department looking for. <laughs> yeah. this. High pens that cost a shocking amount yeah, of money. Yeah, I, I think there must be about I don't know twenty twenty five thousand dollars now for the for the synthy. And back then it was about two. No one wanted them. No one cared. You know, they, they, and suddenly this whole market in vintage synths has grown up over the decades. So, so I, I wish I hadn't sold all my gear because <laughs> uh, I'm just buying it, trying to buy it all back again. You know. Mm -hmm. Well, these days, out of curiosity, do you like work mostly in the computer? I know you you do have a lot of instruments that you, you play. Um, is it a bit of a hybrid of both, like recording a lot of real yeah. audio and then yeah? Sound sound? I mean, you know, there was a trend of just using MIDI modules and synth modules, and then everything in the box. Um, and of course, you know, I've got endless sound libraries uh, and and plugins, and I work in Logic Pro. But there's a real desire for filmmakers now to the i think there's a there's a there's an issue where there is so much music out there that people want a unique sound and the only thing that separates a composer from um 
you know, because we all have the same tools. We all use sound libraries from Spitfire or Kestrel Tools or Do or any of these manufacturers. And so we all have the same libraries and the same software. So what sets us apart from from every other composer out there is, you know, making your own libraries and recording your own sounds and, and samples. And and so I, you know, and, and filmmakers, I've noticed, you know, really want real instruments. And that, so, I mean, for me personally, I love that organic, um, gritty edge. You know, I like sounds that have imperfections to them because it gives a sense of reality, um, and, and humanity into these sterile sounds that we're using that are absolutely perfect and recorded in a studio. And, you know, so you're getting a growth of sound libraries that are actually trying to inject imperfection and, and grittiness and roughness into the, into their sounds. So, so I do always on every project, I try and either record um, you know, at least a couple of musicians or, or try and have a budget for real musicians as, as far as possible or record, you know, pluck, bang and scrape whatever I can that I have in my studio, um, which is, um, it's just, you know, it's fun. It, it, it mixes things up a lot and uh, forces you to be creative in a, in a different way and keeps me, certainly keeps me fresh instead of sitting in front of a computer all day, which is what I do most of the time anyway. Yeah. Be curious because I mean, like, I think that as a sound designer, like, you you really do come up with some amazing textures and uh, interesting layers. So, do you do you feel like you separate that part of your brain from like the actual writing process, or is it all just something that comes together at once? Where like you go to your computer, you have to write a cue, and it's just like it depends on the day, like which part you. Start oh, with. I think for me, the production and the sound and the the composition is all in one. I'm not the kind, I mean, I do try and do, if I'm writing with a piano sound, I will, obviously the music is, the composition is front and foremost the most important thing. But if depends on the kind of, the style of music and the kind of cue I'm writing. So if it's derived from, you know, the sounds and the textures and the actual sound of the instrument, then I'll play around with sounds. You know, I'll listen to one sample sound a riff or a loop or something, and it'll inspire me to write a piece of music out of it. Or I'll pull up um, a piano sample and just compose on the keyboard, and that will inspire me uh, and force me to write in a different way. So it just depends on the on the score and the and the style of sound. But generally, it's it's a case of everything evolving at the same time which can be a bit hmm. time-consuming and detailed, but I have no set, no real set set path or route into it. Yeah. Well, I love what you said there about uh, taking a sample for inspiration almost, because, I mean, that's something I've kind of gotten into recently where I have, like, even just going through, like, Splice and just auditioning different drum loops or ideas and then not actually throwing them right into the into the session, just seeing what, what kind of works by like mousing down and getting different types of players and different aesthetics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing that I like to do is to bring in musicians from a very early stage in the writing process mm. because, you know, no, normally, you know, I guess you could say the norm, if there is a norm, is to just write and mock up and do demos using samples and then bring in musicians at the end of the process to re replace the samples 
and then uh, and then edit and mix and master and so on. But if I get brought in early on enough in a project, I like to, uh, which is what I'm thinking of doing at the moment on a, on a couple of projects, is to just bring in, write some sketches, some basic ideas, um, some get some vibes going, um, you know, with with logic, and then bringing in some musicians one by one and just doing some semi-improvised uh, recording sessions. And so I'll record a whole bunch of stuff and in effect basically create my own kind of sound library from the, with with the musician um you know record mm. phrases i'll sing stuff to the musician and uh, or i'll write out basic uh, lines and say you know here's a theme just write you know play to this and then and then i'll give them directions musical directions in the session and we'll come up with all sorts of other lines and counter melodies and and different playing techniques and overdubbing and layering and then out of that material i can write you know 10 20 other pieces will will be derived from a recording session so that then informs me to write fresh new material using those um recorded moments and then i'll bring them back in again and we'll sort of carry on the process and refine it, you know, later down the line. So that's that's quite a fun way of working for me, and it and it means that I get to, I love, you know, having other people's creativity as well um, on my projects, and it's not just me and my own ideas, which can be rather limiting because it means that all I ever do is then write music in the way that I've always written music, um, as opposed to you know bringing in other people's creativity, which is which is fun. Yeah, no, I love that. And especially because, I mean, not that to say every score is keyboard driven, but a lot of it ends up, you know, at a MIDI controller at some point. So then you do get stuck in certain shapes like, oh, my fingers like to land this way in this key. So yeah. having the players just kind of inform the writing immediately definitely helps. I remember, I think, with Hans on uh, Inception, there's a thing where he like sampled Johnny Marr playing like every note of the guitar came up with this mock-up and then Johnny comes into the studio apparently and here's the samples of him playing what he's supposed to record it's like a weird <laughs> yeah. type of experience yeah yeah and that, that's that's an interesting way of doing things um yeah I mean I've done that where I not I've not multi-sampled instruments so it was occasionally I've you know sampled various like I, I did a piece for the reason I jump which was in a minor key and it was piano and strings. And I had this most amazing violinist that I worked with on that. Uh, Daniel Piotto was uh, one of the violinists. And he's such a great musician. And he played this line and it was all done in minor key. And then he left. And the piece was fine, but it wasn't working. So I wanted to change everything into the major key. So I actually started pitch bending notes and playing. And it really injected a different quality to it. And so uh, it all sounded very, very different, you know, from minor to major. And he doesn't know to this date what I to this day what I've done with his playing, and it's going to come out on the soundtrack um, early next year. But um, that, you know, it just it it gave a different quality to the recording. And so I love mangling what other you know musicians have have done and create new phrases out of that. Um, yeah, it's good fun. For sure. And yeah, can you talk a bit more about the the reason I jump? Uh, I'm very excited about the uh, 
the aspect of Japanese vocals and, and the soundtrack from what I've heard so far is really, really cool. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, so the reason I jump is um, a film written by a Japanese boy who was, who's nonverbal autistic. And he wrote this book, um, Naoki Higashida is his name. He wrote this book at the age of 13. And so the book takes you, takes readers into the, the sensory world of autism and counters many of the the prejudices that are held about about autism. So the feature doc is obviously the same title, and it's an adaptation of the book, but it and it's translated into English by the novelist David Mitchell, um, who wrote Cloud Atlas, and he's writing written I think The Matrix Four as well at the moment. And so the film reconstructs a single day in the lives of these different people with autism across the world, from India to Ghana to the US and and the UK. And alongside readings, it's got readings from the book, uh, these beautiful red passages from the book um, that take the audience on this multi-sensory experience of the non-speaking autists and, and how they see the world. And, and neurodiverse people, um, you know, people with neurodiversity and, and autism, they, they perceive the world in a different way to neurotypical people like you or I. So, you know, they see... Uh, and so... Like the book, the score, the intention of the score was to open up a way of seeing reality in different ways of how these autistic contributors um, perceive the world. And so the, the, the soundscape was to evoke, the aim of the soundscape was to evoke and illustrate these sensory worlds using score and sound design and, and blurring the lines between the two. So where the sound design is a more abstract representation of Naoki's writings, the music reflected the emotional state of being autistic with these with these characters. So, for example, um, uh, you know, the, the I mean, the music and the sound design really work hand in hand, and they amplify Naoki's and the characters' experiences of being neurodivergent. So, for example, um, you know, they're very hypersensitive and hyposensitive to the environment around them and because they're non all the characters are non-verbal I wanted to give them a voice and I know it sounds very cliched you know I, I sort of wanted to use the human voice like a musical instrument but I wanted to have a do it in a rather unconventional way and use the human voice like an instrument so I took extracts from the uh, written extracts and phrases from the original book uh, the English translation, translated them back into the Japanese and then re-recorded them using my own voice, uh, broke them down into their consonants and vowels and, and syllables and broke it down into their little components and created sort of textures and layers and different rhythms using the voice singing these phrases so for example there's one phrase key phrase from the book which is we are outside the flow of time because the their perception of autism Naoki's perception is that he perceives the time in a very different way to you or I you know we we uh, he he for example he has a memory of being uh, of a, has a memory that happened to something that happened to him when he was six years old. And that memory comes flooding back to him as a 16-year-old or 15-year-old and um, overwhelms him when he's triggered by some, by an event. 
And so the perception of time is very, very present. There are no barriers with time. You know, his memory will come back, flooding back to him from uh, from his childhood. Whereas I, or you, for example, may see an event that happened to us as a child in a very, um, as a long distant memory that sort of slightly faded. And so I wanted to bring that I wanted to translate that into music and sound. And so I took these um, phrases and words and broke them up because these, uh, another perception of autism with these characters is that they see the details in objects before they see the whole picture. Whereas um, if I walk into a room, for example, I'll see uh, what's happening in the room and then I'll focus in on some minor little details later on it's the opposite for them and so it was like piecing together a jigsaw puzzle and that's the effect I wanted to um, get across in the music so you hear all these little fragmented elements in the music and they slowly come together it's like a jigsaw puzzle that's coming together and um, so that was another way that I wanted to translate the um, the impression of autism onto the audience and how they would feel. So it was, um, you know, it's taking these abstract ideas and trying to translate them into into music, which was really uh, a challenge um, over the over the year that I was working on it. Yeah, from what I've heard so far, it's uh, yeah, it's really interesting uh, soundscapes and and amazing writing. So super excited to see the film. If it's all right with you, if we can go into the last segment for the podcast, a segment called Tech Talk, where I list off a tech topic and you say as much or as little as you want about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first one I have here is DAW. DAW. Okay. Okay. So I work in uh, Logic Pro, um, and I started off working in Studio Vision, Opcode Studio Vision, many, many years ago. And I had the choice of moving between Logic and Cubase. Uh, Cubase was very popular in Europe at the time, and Logic and Performer, I think, were quite popular in America in the in the States. So I just I just picked um, Logic, and I've stuck with it ever since. And it's just a tool for me, you know. Um, it's it does what I need it to do. And yes, I, you know, I've I've always stayed with it. I have no desire to move to anything else. Um, at this moment in time, but it's it's like a trusted old friend, you know. I mean, I for me, technology is just a gear. Uh, it's just a, a, a tool. It uh, enables me to get my ideas down as quickly as possible. And uh, I wouldn't say I'm a power user. Uh, one thing I do like to do with with technology, though, is. I like to break down the barriers between creativity and creative inspiration and and technology. So I I love using different controllers. I have um, this wonderful controller by Jouet. It's this French company, which is like a a rubber keyboard. In fact, let me let me show it to you. There you go. It's like it's this like this piece of rubber that you can bend and you put it into this into this uh, controller surface and you can uh, just it's it's fantastic you know i love controllers i like um the roly keyboards the c boards yes. 
you know, so I've got these little things and they're like, you know, I can assign MIDI CCs to them, these little balls and purple balls and, um, and um, you know. It's kind of like the Sensomorph or something. Sorry? It looks kind of like the Sensomorph. Yeah, it is a little bit like the Sensomorph. And so I, um, I also use the Roly Seaboards a lot. I have um, the big... Uh, grand one which I think I was one of the first people in the UK to have one and um, I what it enables me to do is you know what really drew me to it was this 5d touch um, thing that they they brought in which was you know violinists and guitarists they can use they can create vibrato you know they're having amazing sort of human expression that they can inject into their playing and it's the one thing that keyboard players which is I'm primarily a keyboard player it's the one thing that we can't do and um, various manufacturers I think Hartman Neuron they they tried to do that uh, they brought it in and there's another company where yeah, they overlay the um, these touch sensors onto the top of a keyboard controller keyboard and so you can you can do vibrato um, and um, pitch bends and slides and so I love that because it sort of breaks down the barriers of technology you know if I have an idea a creative idea in my head I want to get it down as quickly as possible without having technology get in the way so so that's what I like about um Roly and what they're trying to do and and you know make it accessible to everyone and and break those barriers down so that everyone can play music and be as expressive as possible um I also have the Eigen harp the Pico the little Pico because breath controllers are, are great too so I've had all these all these unusual bits of gear over the years um i've got the little uh seaboard as well and the seaboard rise and um, and they're great fun you know they're a lot of fun i think music should be about should be fun when you're creating it because it's you know you just want to be as creative as possible and not get bogged down in the detail of you know i, I like to get my ideas done quickly and then i'll spend days and weeks perfecting it in the door and, and uh, fiddling around you know and the only thing that makes me finish a piece of music is a deadline uh, <laughs> so uh so i think you know it's like being a professional composer is about trying to get the best that you can in the time in the limited the best you know write the best piece of music you can in the uh, limited time available to you um if you give me right. a week to write a score I'll get it done. If you give me six months to write the same score, I'll take six months to write the score. You know, it's um, it's uh, you know, a piece of music is never finished until until the director says, right, that's it. You know, deliver to the dub. <laughs> yeah, with six months, I say that I, I spent five months procrastinating and then one month really working. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah, I it's you know that's one of my. I, I thought I was unique in that. I thought I was terrible in terms of procrastinating and prevaricating. And um, and I do that a lot. And, you know, I spend a lot of time mulling ideas over. Uh, and one thing on the reason I jump, I, um, I had a year to work on that. And it was great because um, I didn't have any visuals. Uh, I, I, the director wanted me to write a lot of material um, before the edit started, and even even while they were editing, they wouldn't send me very much. 
So I'd get these briefs and, and have all these discussions with the director about autism and and the perception of autism and reading the book and I do a lot of research and that made me creative in a different way and so a lot of the music in the film is actually from all my experiments um, and when they did send me scenes to score to um, it informed me in a different way creatively as well so I'd um, so yeah, working without visuals and working with visuals is a really different process for me. Um, it's quite challenging in both both ways. Right. I guess it's strangely uncommon for the film composer to work without visuals sometimes, and it can it can be helpful. I think. Yeah, I, mean, I love writing to picture. Uh, that's my default mode. You know, if you give me images, I'll. I'll know what to write uh, because it informs me in a, in a in a certain way. And recently, I've been writing music from scripts, and I've really I was always afraid of not writing to visuals, um, but recently I've been doing more of it, and it's really opened up. It, it's so much so much more liberating, uh, I find, because your imagination can run riot, and uh, and it you just end up writing stuff that you'd never normally write to the images so when when i watch what the you know i'll see um i'll give the director a whole bunch of music and they'll lay it on and i think oh wow i'd never have done that you know it's really refreshing to see what they've done with it and it works as well it just it's just really different and so um so i really enjoy working that way actually gotcha yeah and yeah, I guess just like one last question here. You've you won so many awards and I, I love what you do musically. So what would be like the next goal in terms of your career? Like where, where would you want to be doing next if you could pick that, that dream film or that dream project? Uh, you know, I just love working with people that I, I like to work with creative filmmakers. Uh, and by that, I'm not that all filmmakers are not creative, but just filmmakers that embrace um, creativity and and the value and the and the power that music can bring to their project so that that really turns me on just working with really great teams and and filmmakers you know editors and and directors that really want to push things to the limit and be quite experimental uh, which I really enjoy and and just working on stories that really resonate with me, you know, be they fiction or non-fiction, um, that really, uh, you know, I need to sort of find a way in that I can dive in and connect with a story in a personal way, and that that really excites me. So, dream projects, uh, it could they can be anything from, you know, um, from non-fiction feature documentaries to um to drama series to to fiction feature films you know and i've got several of those bubbling away at the moment and i, I love working on projects that take me out of my comfort zone creatively musically um so you know i'm working on a project at the moment which will be out next year and i've never written music like it uh, in fact a lot of my projects are like that at the moment. I'm doing a couple of video games um, for next year and they're filling me with fear 
because I have no idea how I'm going to handle it. Uh, and that's what I really like about writing music. You know, for me, it's about taking me out of my comfort zone and pushing me in a direction that um, I don't feel comfortable with uh, because that's when I feel that I can do my best work because, you know, if I'm if I'm repeating myself uh, stylistically, um, it's very easy to become complacent and uh, and it's it's hard to get those projects because people know you for one people think that they know your music and they and they want you to write in a certain way and um, and actually I prefer the opposite so to get filmmakers to take a risk on you um, by asking you to write something you've never written before that's that's my perfect kind of um, working environment I love it well, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Matthew. It's been really great talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Composer Talk. If you like what we're doing, feel free to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. The show is mixed and sounds great thanks to the incredible Eric Bard, who's also a talented composer, producer, and mixer. Until next time, this has been Matthew Wong. Matthew Wong.